Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All of us. The U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Gold. She's one of the best playmakers of her generation. She's accomplished so much on the field across several different continents. And recently, she started to make just as much of an impact off the field. On today's episode of All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show, we will speak with Vera Bocchette about her career and everything that's happened regarding a scandal with the Spanish national team that exploded in 2015 and came back into public view late last year with a documentary that aired in Spain. My name is Seth Vertelny. Welcome into the show. And joining me, as always, is Goals Women's Football Correspondent, Amy Ruskai. Amy, how's it going? I am good. What about you? I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to speaking to Vero about her career. You know, she's done so much on the field. She's played pretty much everywhere. So she has a really unique perspective about the game all over the world. And then, of course, I want to speak with her about some of the issues off the field as well, particularly regarding Spain. In the 2015 World Cup, Spain had a pretty poor performance on the field. And after that tournament, Vero, along with a number of other Spain players, essentially had a public mutiny against their coach, Ignacio Carrera. He had been in charge of the Spain women's team for 27 years, between 1988 and 2015, and Vero and some of her teammates alleged a really toxic culture that Carreta had created. They detailed a pattern of bullying and abusive language, including sexism, homophobia, bigotry towards Catalans, and controlling behavior. Um, they said that they had gone to the Spanish FA and the FA didn't do anything about it. And so they actually went public with it and it led to Carreta eventually being forced out. Uh, and I know that anybody that's been 
following the the women's game in the U.S. over the last year, well, say that story sounds pretty familiar. Um, a lot of that, of course, has been going on in the NWSL, and and, and Vero, uh, in some ways, uh, was one of the, the the pioneers in in terms of trying to get something done about uh, an abusive coach that that she played under, and and so we will talk to her about her career, her different stops across the world, and and some of the the issues of abuse that she has dealt with and, and tried to fight back against during her career. And so let's bring in Vero now and, and chat with her about all those topics. Vero, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being on. Hi, thank you. Uh, my pleasure to be uh, with you guys. And uh, yeah, let's, let's start. Let's start. You have very recently joined up with Fiorentina, what are your, your early impressions of the club, early impressions of the, the city of Florence? I have to say, uh, I went to Florence a long time ago, and I would not completely hate living there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The same for me. It's just a couple of weeks that I'm here, but uh, uh, I'm starting to, to enjoy the city. It's uh, smaller than, than Milan, it's smaller than other cities where I have been living, but uh, I like uh, smaller cities where everyone kind of uh, know each other. And um, yeah, in the club, um, they have a, a big project also for the future. So it's a, it's a, a club that wants to grow. And um, in the women's side, Fiorentina, it was in the past was always uh, one of the clubs that the supporting more the, the women's side. And now they just uh, want to come back to the to the highest level and the top of the league. So um, I'm happy to to be here and, and help them to to do that. Seth just reeled off all those countries that you've played in. Um, this being your eighth professional country, uh, what is it that's appealed to you over your career about going to these different countries and and having these different experiences? I mean, for me, uh, it's, it's exactly that. It's, it's life experience. Uh, obviously, I'm playing uh, football, but uh, it's all uh, about uh, knowing people, uh, knowing different cultures, uh, uh, understand why uh, people live or think in, in the way that they do. And um, yeah, also in, in, in the sports side, uh, to see how they work, uh, how they which type of methodology they use, uh, why uh, it's successful in that country and maybe knowing in other, uh, try to adapt to different styles, to, to different uh, ways of playing. And all that makes you grow as a player and make you grow as a person. And that's something that I, I love. Um, I just want to be better in, in every part of me as a player and as a person. So uh, I'm enjoying every, every country and every experience. I'm sure you've taken something personally and professionally from everywhere that you've played. Uh, but I'm wondering if there's any particular place that, that sticks out to you, and whether it's on the field, off the field, like a place that you feel like has really benefited you a lot, um, either personally or professionally? Yeah, it's hard to, to pick one, but obviously my uh, highest peak of my career, it was in Sweden uh, with my, my club there, Tirsa. Um, I, I was lucky enough to play with uh, some of the best players in the world. 
written the Champions League final, um, have like a, a really nice life there, but also really competitive in trainings, in games. So uh, for me, that time, that that time and that country, Sweden, uh, had a big, big impact in my career. But I will say also uh, U.S. because um, uh, U.S. gave me the the chance to really be professional. The first time my career that I became a professional football player, it was in U.S. And uh, then to do it good there uh, made me uh, kind of get the respect in, in the rest of the of the world and uh, try to get more opportunities in uh, in Europe. But the uh, U.S. Uh, has a, a big impact also in, in my career. Yeah, because you, you played for five different clubs in, in the U.S. So I guess you touched on it a little bit there, but what was it that made you want to keep going back there every time? Um, well, I I love the the mentality. Uh, I always uh, admire uh, the, the the American players and the the feeling of the country that they uh, show when they play with the national team, but especially that uh, uh, winning mentality. So um, that was something that uh, always made me to come back to US. But also the professional league, uh, to play in front of uh, thousands of people, um, to to really feel that you you have like um, all the the things that you need, like the training fields, the the travel, all that. That before years ago in Europe, it was really hard to to get. You could have that in uh, in US, so you felt really really professional. Now it's kind of a, a little different. If you want to go to US, it's, it's another experience. It's also competitive, but uh, it's not because you don't have it here in Europe. You have it here. Uh, women's football grow a lot. But for me, uh, US, uh, it was and it will be always uh, really special. And you've been able to see professional women's soccer in the US at, at different stages. You know, you, you played in the WPS um, before that league folded. Um, and then you were able to play in the NWSL in 2014, which was just the the second season of the league. Um, and then you came back to the NWSL more recently in 2019 and 2020 with Utah. Um, how have you seen the the growth of the women's game in the United States during your 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 time playing there? Yeah, I think that uh, in in every state uh, it was a competitive league. It was so many good players were playing there, international players. So it was always uh, excited to go there and play. I will say that uh, in the last uh, in my life, last uh, time in in US, I I could see that uh, it was more consolidate. Uh, it was no uh, like a surprise to play in front of uh, thousands of people. Um, we we saw almost uh, every game with uh, a lot of people. Biggest uh, stadiums open up, not just in Portland, in, in everywhere. So the first years was a little uh, differing and it was not that common. So I think that um, like the fans now, um, they start to get that uh, soccer culture that maybe they miss it before. Obviously, uh, in the last years and <laughs> almost uh, the whole history of uh, women's football, the national team was uh, the biggest country. But it was just a short time. Every four, uh, every two, three years, 
So um, I think that now in US, um, they understand that they have a big national team, but also they understand that they have a national league that uh, uh, attract a lot of players. And the clubs start to grow that and uh, start to, to give more stability to the players. And I think that that uh, is going to mark the difference. And you spent a, a couple of seasons with Utah um, last time you were in the US. Was it tough to see what happened with them? You talked about obviously feeling more consolidated, but you know, was it tough to see what happened to, to Utah Royals when you'd gone? Yeah, totally. It was sad um, to see it, uh, to feel it. Um, also surprised because uh, the club was uh, was a, a strong club. Um, like um, all the community was really engaged uh, with, uh, especially the women's uh, team. So all the things that happened, it that it shouldn't happen. Uh, Utah should have still a a, a women's uh, team, and um, like that club deserved better. Uh, I just hope that uh, that was kind of a, okay, I stop, a uh, step back to come back maybe in the future um, with another mentality, with another uh, idea. And uh, um, I hope that uh, Utah gets a, a new team uh, with uh, other mentality behind. Yeah, there's been some some reports about what was going on kind of behind the scenes with the Royals, um, we've we've seen reports about a, a toxic culture. Um, you know, some of the things that the owner said in public uh, were pretty unsavory. Uh, heard some reports about the coach. Um, some players have have spoken out as well. We'll talk about your experience with Spain soon, but I'm wondering, you know, for you, was that was that what you experienced? And if so, you know, how do you kind of put that in context with? experience something like that earlier in your career with the with the Spanish national team yeah I think that uh, to have other experience uh, gives you uh, the, the whole picture so you understand better what is going on um, you uh, you accept the situation better that means that uh, not that you accepted that uh, oh it's okay but you accept it inside uh, because if not, you suffer even more. So it was a a, a really hard situation for everyone. But um, uh, at the same time, it was like, okay, this is not good enough. So it had been not good enough for a long time. Maybe uh, the people that was here before, they couldn't handle it. Uh, so for us, um, in my case, uh, to have the experience with Spain, to have the experience in other countries that you always have to deal with this uh, kind of uh, macho country uh, uh, culture and um, sexist comments. So um, I didn't have to suffer that directly in Utah. But, uh, yeah, I think that you just understand better the situation and uh, you accept that uh, this is not good enough and that you don't want to be part of that and something has to change. Why did you decide to move back to, to Europe after that then? What was it that brought you back um, nearer home? Um, well, uh, I was happy in Utah, but uh, sometimes these things happen and... Uh, uh, your life changed again and uh, it was also the COVID time so uh, for uh, several months uh, we couldn't play uh, we actually we didn't um, knew that if 
maybe another break uh, could happen. So I wanted to play right away. Uh, and for that, uh, I have to come back to Europe. And also, uh, no every league gives you the chance to play right away. Maybe you have to wait until uh, the, the transfer window in, in January. That for me, it was late because I was kind of worried about the COVID and saying like, well, what happened if then maybe in December and January, everything stops again. So um, it's for that that I came to, to Italy and I went to Milan. I just took the fly, flew there. After two weeks, I was playing again. And um, yeah, like uh, to be back in one of the biggest uh, clubs in Europe, it was also a good opportunity for me, another goals and... Uh, just uh, keep the same ambitions to to keep growing and getting better. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Find more U.S. Women's Soccer news and opinion on Goal. After the 2015 World Cup, uh, you, you played a big role in what eventually led to the sacking of Ignacio Carreta, the head coach of the national team who had been there for 27, 28 years. Um, there was a documentary that came out late last year, um, which you were a part of called Breaking the Silence. Um, I would imagine that there were a number of people in Spain that either weren't completely familiar with what happened or didn't know the story at all. Um, so I'm wondering when, when that documentary came out, um, what kind of response it got, uh, in Spain or maybe even globally. And, uh, what did you notice about the, the, the reaction? Well, the reaction were, was like a surprise. So many people didn't knew about uh, the the story, or they knew just like a five percent of what happened, or they knew about the uh, the final days when we we everything uh, blows up, but they didn't knew what we were suffering or the situation that we have for so many years. Uh, I will say all my years in the national team. I I have I played with the national team for 14 years since I was uh, 16, and that was the type of uh, um, that was the situation that we had. We have um, like uh, directors or people in charge that they didn't care and that they didn't uh, want uh, women's uh, football uh, grow. 
uh, we have to suffer uh, so many uh, uh, comments that were like just uh, unreal. Uh, so many players really suffer it. Like uh, in my case, maybe it was not that hard because uh, at some point I was one of the the stars. So it's kind of uh, uh, easier just to to have a better relation or that they don't tell you that many stuff. But um, yeah, like in the the first years for me it was like uh, okay, I'm the younger one. I have to accept that because the others also accept that. You don't know exactly what. Uh, what is okay and what is not okay. Um, then when you get more experience, when you have the, also the, the chance to, to travel, to see and to know uh, how is a normal situation in other place, then you can compare. And when you compare, you just realize that that's not good enough. And uh, for us in Canada, it was like... Uh, the two things together. It's not good enough in the personal side, but it's also not good enough in the sports side. And um, we we didn't get through the, the, the group phase just because uh, we were not well prepared. We, it's no, uh, 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 it was no a thing about talent or uh, players that are good enough or are not good enough. It's just that uh, the people that was in charge uh, of uh, the women's national team, they didn't have the capacity to, to do that job. And that was the, the, the moment that we say, okay, uh, this is the end. Or we change this or uh, we cannot keep going in, in that direction. And you look at the incredible place that women's football in Spain is in now. Um, you know, do you think that we get to this point of you know Alexia Putellas winning the Ballon d'Or, Barcelona winning the Champions League without what you and your teammates did in in twenty fifteen? Probably not. <laughs> it's hard to to imagine uh, the the sweet moment that the the Spanish women's football is living now. Um, if we were uh, still with uh, Nacho Quereda and the same mentality and every everyone behind that. So uh, I think that was for sure uh, a moment that changed the our story and uh, now we can uh, we can talk about it and we can see well maybe we were right if after five six years uh spain national team is uh, already one of the best and uh, the players are uh, one of the best in in the world so that means that we already have the talent before the the saddest thing is that how many great players they couldn't reach the highest level. They couldn't play a World Cup or a Euro Cup, or they couldn't win a, 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 a Ballon d'Or because people in charge, coaches, uh, directors, they were just not good enough. So we don't want that in the future. And uh, I think that uh, what we did in, in Canada, it was brave, but uh, especially it was necessary. I'm wondering how you kind of look at your national team career as a whole. Um, you know, you were you were part of the team for for over a decade. Um, you accomplished a lot on the field, but you know the way it ended, I'm sure, left a bitter taste in your mouth. Um, you know, being left off the the team in 2017 to go to the Euros. Um, when when you kind of look back on a whole, like how how do you view it? I mean, do you try to 
to focus on, you know, some of the, the good memories, some of the accomplishments you had, or, or does it, or, or do you inevitably kind of think about the last couple of years and, and how it ended? Um, I try to, to think about the positive. Um, I have a great experience with the national team. I reach, uh, some of my uh, my life goals to playing a World Cup, to playing a Euro Cup, and at the same time I accept that it was another time. I I knew that the and even now I I, I knew that the, in, in the years that I was with the national team, I I could not fight or play to win a title. So um, I'm not missing anything in that side. But obviously, uh, the end, it was not the one that I wanted. I think that um, it could be better, that's for sure. Um, I don't think that I deserve to to get out in that way. But at the same time, it's a, it's un, it's a price that I have to pay. And um, if that is the, the consequence of changing the, the history of uh, my sport in my country... I think that uh, is not that bad. Yeah. Is that the thing that you, you have to be proud of, the, the legacy that you kind of leave? Yeah, for sure. I think that um, the legacy is more important than uh, people think. Um, so many of, of the good things that we have now is because or is thanks to so many women and so many players that fight to to got it before than us. And uh, sometimes we, recon- we don't recognize them uh, enough. So um, I recognize them enough. And uh, thanks to them, uh, I, I was able to fight for my sport in some uh, situations. And I hope that I transmit that to the younger uh, generation and that they can keep doing that uh, in the situations that they have in the future. I'm sure that you have been following what's been going on in the NWSL over the last several months um, with players finally starting to, to speak out about some of the, the abuses that they've suffered under coaches um, that sound, you know, very similar to some of the things that you and your teammates had alleged about uh, your national team coach. And, and I'm wondering just how, how you view this moment in the NWSL, uh, particularly as somebody who did something very similar several years ago where you, you know, tried to speak to your FA about it. Um, eventually you went to the, to the press, uh, to try to get some kind of, some kind of reaction, some kind of action to happen. And, and I'm, so I'm wondering just, just your view of everything that's been going on in the NWSL recently. Well, in in the moment that uh, all the things uh, start to come out, and uh, especially about um, Paul Riley, Philadelphia, Portland, I was a little in shock for a for a few days because I was there. I was in Philadelphia Independence. I was in the Portland Thorns when uh, all these things happened, and um, like I was telling me all the time, like how it was possible that I didn't see that. Like, how how was that uh, happening in front of me and how I have already that experience with the national team and in other places that I have been and uh, then in Utah. And, and it's like, uh, at the end, you just think like, well, this is more normal than... It's, it's, it shouldn't be a surprise because this is happening every day. 
in every workplace, in every uh, family, in every uh, neighborhood. And uh, it's just, it's enough is enough. Like, I think that uh, in the last months, um, the players in the WSL just show that, uh, okay, this is not going to happen again. Like, uh, enough is enough. Now everyone going to speak and we want solutions. It's not like, oh, yeah, it's okay. We're going to see it. We're going to open an investigation. Then no one knows about the investigation. This coach uh, gets another job in another place. And these things keep happening. And at some point, we have to be stronger than that. And uh, especially, like like I said before about the legacy, like younger players don't have to accept that because this is not okay. So, um, yeah, like I was in shock for a few days. Uh, I uh, kind of uh, get angry with myself, but then was like, well, it's time to to actually change things and support everyone here. And uh, this is no uh, something that we're gonna permit in the future. What do you think that that says about um, you know these kinds of coaches or these kinds of cultures? Uh, you know that that somebody like you who is very well aware that these situations happen. I mean, you had been kind of experiencing it yourself with the Spanish national team. You know, what do you think it says that you didn't, you didn't see it happen even when it was happening both um, in Philadelphia and in Portland? Yeah. Like, uh, um, I think that the, so many of these uh, things, um, when it's someone else, when people get uh, ashamed, when they don't talk about it, when they don't, uh, make it uh, a little clear for everyone, uh, then we just see it like a normal, oh, yeah, they are friends or, oh, yeah, they, they are kind of, a, they have a better relation. Like, you just don't uh, give importance to that. So you just think that, yeah, everything goes well. No one is suffering here. No one is afraid of the consequence here because everyone is free. But but it's not the case. And uh I think that um, like so many people that is in a position of power, they just have so much power. No one uh, is uh, actually digging in and checking if they are good coaches or not, because no one come to the field and analyze the training or analyze the game approach. Like, no, it's like, oh yeah, that's fine. That's good enough. Maybe it's not good enough. And the same happening in the personal side. Like no one is making sure, talking with players, uh, uh, watching the, all the, the, the workplace uh, to make everyone safe there. So uh, when uh, the ones over you don't think about it, also makes yourself don't worry too much because, well, if my boss is not worried about that, I guess, if, if, if it's not something that really affects me directly, and that's the problem that when affects you directly, you don't know with who to talk. You don't know how people, what people is gonna think about you. And yeah, so uh, I think that right now everyone is more uh, sensibilized about all this, and um, people is no afraid to speak, and uh, it's more clear what is okay, what is not okay, and where where are the limits. Pero Boquete. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for, for speaking out and, and for drawing attention to some of these these issues. And, and hopefully we'll see some real changes being made moving forward. And uh, 
best of luck uh, in Italy with Fiorentina. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. All right, that was Vera Bocchette. Lots of interesting things that, that she got into, of course. Uh, Amy, anything uh, immediately that, that, that stands out to you? I mean, it's pretty insane that, you know, you think about that she knew about this abusive behaviour that, you know, they allege happened with the Spain national team coach and then, you know, she can be at um, a club in the NWSL where there's, you know, abuse allegedly going on and not know and not recognise the same patterns and things like that is pretty kind of, um, I guess, kind of scary in a way, like that you, you think you might know and might recognise when something's not right, but, you know, you might not always recognise that. Um but no, she's, I mean, great player and also like to leave a legacy off the pitch like she's going to leave as well as on it is, um, you know, doesn't doesn't happen with most players to have that much of an impact both on and off the pitch. Yeah, it is it is pretty crazy when you look back at uh, some of her stops in the U.S. Um, you know, she accomplished a lot on the field, um, but, you know, Philadelphia and Portland, she played under Paul Riley and we know all about the things that he is alleged to have done and then... Uh, going to Utah, where it was uh, another toxic environment that, that led to players speaking out, that led to coaches being fired, and eventually led to the, the club being sold and, and, and moving back to Kansas City. Um, it, it just goes to show you how widespread this issue is in the women's game, and, and hopefully... Um, you know, some of the players speaking out, including Vero and some of her, her former teammates in the, MD, in the NWSL um, can, can start to, to really fight back against that kind of culture. Yeah, I think the, the kind of things that the Players Association have been doing in, in the NWSL, we, we see that now. And, you know, it's crazy to think when I said about the, you know, do you think that you, you have a Spanish Ballon d'Or winner um, without you know what Vera and her teammates did like you know it's only been what, seven years now and you look at where Spain are now it's phew, it's insane at how limiting that kind of environment can be no matter how talented players are yeah exactly I mean it's just like a little bit of attention a little bit of focus and and all of a sudden the Spain women's team is now like kind of on the same level as the Spain men's team in terms of how they play, in terms of the success that they're having. And it just goes to show you, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't take a lot. It just takes some, uh, some attention and, and some care. And, and all of a sudden a country that is so obsessed with soccer, like Spain can, can produce on the women's side, just like they have been on the men's side. Yeah. And it's great that, you know, there was so, there'll be so many players in the Spain team now that suffered along with Vera and her teammates that, now get that kind of day in the sun, you know, which is nice for them. And it's a shame the way Vero's career ended, but she'll still go down as one of the best players of a generation, no doubt. Absolutely. Uh, we will leave it there. Um, thanks, as always, for, for tuning in. Uh, just a reminder to subscribe, leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. And we will be back chatting to you next week. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal.